Hey, good morning, faith family. Let me say hello to those gathered in Lakeville in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 is where we'll be uh, this morning. I never thought I would ever say I miss Myanmar. Um, but I do. Uh, I, I just got back a couple days ago from 90 degree Myanmar, and uh, I came back for this. Um, as some of you know, I was out last weekend. I was uh, away in, uh, in Myanmar doing some training uh, for pastors and missionaries. Uh, there's a group there of some of the uh, uh, individuals that I was able to, to speak to for a few days, and uh, they kind of were coming together for their uh, annual denomination meeting. And so in the evenings, I would speak uh, kind of at the general conference uh, to a lot of their church people that were there. And so just a great time to be away and, and uh, preach the gospel. I was preaching the book of Jonah. Uh, the denomination had been struggling for some time about the freedom of the gospel, how it's Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus something else, but Christ alone and the freedom that that gives. Also, uh, just kind of the struggle that some of them were having reaching out to other uh, ethnic groups. And, you know, one of the things that you learn in the book of Jonah is that Jonah has to understand that, listen, the grace of God is for Ninevites as well. It's not just for people like you, uh, it's for all people. And until he got that right, he wasn't ready to be a part of the mission. And so I uh, was thankful to be away, to have the opportunity to, uh, to preach and teach. Just know, faith family, that when I'm away uh, on things like that, I am preaching the same good news of the gospel that we preach week in and week out here at Berean. And so uh, we exist to see our lives, our community, and our world transformed by the power of the gospel. So I'm thankful for those opportunities, thankful for our elders that give me uh, some time and freedom throughout the year to go and be a part of gospel ministry literally around uh, the world. So thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, we're back in Hebrews chapter 12, kind of in the final stretch of the book of Hebrews. Um, we've got just a few more weeks, Lord willing, in this book. We've been in it since the beginning of the fall last year, and I, I really trust that this has been an encouragement for you, and it has uh, strengthened your faith, as that's what we've been uh, talking about. So here we go. Hebrews 12, picking up in verse 4, and we're going to work down through verse 11. This is going to be a, a difficult message, but it's one that I think if you will really listen and let the text say what the text says, that it's going to give you a lot of hope and encouragement uh, for your life. So, so let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word, and let's read it, and then we'll ask Ask God to come and speak to us through it. Hebrews 12 verse 4 says, uh, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, and what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness." Now, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained 
by it. This is the Word of God. Will you pray with me and pray for me and ask God to come and really minister to us through this passage? Let's pray together. God, thanks for this time to be together. Uh, We're thankful that you have given us your Word, uh, that we have gathered here today now to listen to you. Uh, Not to me speak, but I pray that I would be faithful to your word, and because of that, uh, that you would speak to us through it. Uh, We we don't often think rightly. When we experience things in our life, it's very easy for us, even as Christians, to have the wrong perspective. And I'm praying, God, that you would take this passage today and give us a biblical perspective on our life, that you would deepen and strengthen our faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you were to observe her from a distance, you would likely describe Ashlyn uh, Shocker as a one, kind of one word. You would probably describe her as fearless. I mean, it's like this kid wasn't afraid of anything. Uh, If she went to the school cafeteria and the food was too hot to eat, it wouldn't stop her from gulping it down. If she went to the the playground and and she fell off the swings, uh, you would never, ever see her cry. There there was actually one case when her father was washing the car and she reached out accidentally and grabbed the hot muffler on the pressure washer and she didn't even scream. If you took her to the doctor to, to, to get a shot, she would act as though she didn't feel a thing. And it's because she couldn't. You see, Ashlyn wasn't fearless. Ashlyn has what is known as CIPA. It's a rare disorder that actually prevents the body from feeling pain. And because of this, her parents were always nervous. They were constantly watching Ashlyn all the time. They would put ice in her soup to make sure that it wasn't too hot as to burn the inside of her mouth. If she was out playing outside or on a playground, they were always watching her for fear that she would harm herself in a very severe way. Listen, Ashlyn's inability to feel pain actually put her in a very, very severe situation. In fact, when Tara, who was Ashlyn's mom, was interviewed about her daughter's condition, she said something I found very interesting, and I quote, Some people would say not feeling pain is a good thing, but it's not. Pain is there for a reason. In fact, now remember this is coming from a mom, from a parent. In fact, I would give anything for my daughter to feel pain. The truth of the matter is, faith family, most of us assume that pain is a bad thing. It's why a lot of us will do anything and everything to avoid pain in our life. Some of you refuse to exercise because you do not want to experience pain. You do not want to be sore. Some of you will refuse going to the doctor or to the dentist because you don't like the pain of a needle or a drill. Some of you will say yes to a relationship you should say no to because you don't want to experience the pain of being alone. 
Some of you are not disciplined with money because it actually hurts to not get whatever you want whenever you want it. There are some people that will avoid certain churches because they want their ears tickled because sometimes, say it, the truth hurts. That is not a healthy way to live. It's not even a happy way to live. I came across this article in Psychology Today. The article was quite interesting. It said this, and I quote, The struggle to find happiness is a common reason people seek therapy. Clients often enter my office saying, I've tried everything and I don't feel happier. Much to their frustration, their efforts to become happier didn't yield the desired results. Now, part of this is due to the approach to happiness. For example, listen, faith family, eating an extra helping of food to avoid hunger, pain, treating yourself to concert tickets so that you don't miss out on time with your friends, a version of pain. Skipping workouts because you don't feel like exercising pain. But then the author said this. But this way of thinking is actually getting in the way of a happier life. Are you listening? Because the biggest misconception about happiness is the path to achieving it means avoiding pain. This is what I want us to get our minds around this morning. This is what the the text is going to put before us this morning. And it's something that we actually all know, but we tend to not live. And that is pain actually has a purpose. And that's not just true physically. It's not just true relationally. It's true spiritually. In other words, hear me, faith family. God, our Father, knows that without pain in our life, we are in a very severe situation. That, whether we want to face this this morning or not, is exactly what the author of Hebrews is teaching. The last few weeks, we've been talking about this life of faith. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Why is faith so important? Hebrews 11, verse 6. And what is this whole life of faith about? And we've been able to boil it down to this, that it's a life that trusts God, and in trusting God, we please God. That's what it's all about. We're walking down this road of faith and we're going through circumstances and situations in life and and we're trusting God along the path, along the road, along the journey. And we've talked about some lessons on this road of faith, a proper perspective as we live this life. Things like there'll be times on the road of faith when you're going to want to do things your way, but you've got to trust God like Abel. There's going to be times on the road of faith you're going to do things that won't make you popular with the world, like Enoch, but you've got to trust God. On the road of faith, there will be times when you're going to be asked to do some weird things, like Noah being asked to build the ark, but you've got to trust God. Uh, There's going to be times you're going to struggle to believe, like Abraham, and you've got to trust God. There'll be times on the road of faith where you're going to be afraid, like Moses was, and in those fears, you have to trust God. 
There are going to be times on the road of faith when you're going to feel like the blessings of God are being distributed in an unfair way. Why do some people get grapes and other people get cucumbers? It sounds weird if you weren't there for that sermon, right? It just, it appears as though God's not handing things out in a fair way. Well, that's normal on the life of faith. You'll experience that. Some shut the mouths of lions, others get eaten by them. That's what Hebrews 11 says. On the road of faith, there'll be times when you hit the spiritual wall and you've got to trust God. And then here's the next lesson that our text is going to teach us about this life of faith. It's an important one. It's not an easy one. And it's this. On the road of faith, you're going to experience pain from God. On the road of faith, you're going to experience pain from God, and you're going to have to trust Him. Now, there's a sense in which you might say, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. Like, like they literally gave you a seminary degree for this. Of course, in this life, we're going to experience pain. Uh, Of course, there's going to be suffering and trials. We all know that. And yet I would say that you'd be surprised how many Christians assumed that when they signed up for Christianity, it would be a life absent from pain. There is a misconception among Christians that to be a Christian means you won't have to go through sufferings and trials. The Hebrew Christians had experienced this. Look at what the author says in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Have you forgotten the book of Proverbs? Have you read your Bibles? That's what he's saying. Hebrew Christians, why are you surprised at the pain that you're going through? Now, maybe it would be helpful if we would stop for just a moment. You won't find this on the screen, but for those of you taking notes, you might want to jot these down. That pain comes from different sources. Uh, Trials and sufferings come from different areas. Let me give you three. Number one, you may be facing trials as a result of sin in your life. Suffering, pain may come as consequences of sin. Thanks, for instance, of uh, Jonah. I've kind of been teaching on Jonah, so he's fresh on the mind. Jonah's running from God, and, and God sends a storm into his life. That is, it's a way of correcting and addressing the sin in his life. Secondly, trials may come simply because of life itself. Romans 8 talks about the fact that we live in a fallen world. Listen, Christians get cancer just like non-Christians. And it's not necessarily a response to, to sin other than we live in a broken, fallen world. Thirdly, it may be related to faith. That is, that as you live as a Christian, you know, Paul says, for those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. That is, sometimes trials and sufferings come as a result of living out your faith. But whatever the source may be, wherever the the, the pain and trials are coming from, it is a part of the road of faith. It made me think of, uh, have you ever read um, John Bunyan's um, um, Pilgrim's Progress? If you haven't, you should. Uh, There's a a part in the book where uh, Pliable, this character, has joined Christian on this journey. And he is so excited. I mean, he can't wait to get to heaven. Uh, he, in fact, at one point, he's, he's encouraging Christian, hurry up. I, I can't wait to get to heaven and enjoy all these goodies along the way. And fairly early on in the journey, they, they fall into the slough of despond. 
And this goes against everything Pliable thought this journey was going to be about. He becomes furious with Christian and he says this, is this the happiness you promised me? If we have such ill at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and the journey's end? May I get out with my life. You shall possess the brave country for me. In other words, if I get out of this, I'm not going any further. And sure enough, they get out of the slough of despond and pliable turns There are a lot of Christians that just assume that the life of faith will be easy. That is not what the Bible promises you. Amen? Now, I want to take that one step further. Because it's not just that some Christians assume that the life's going to be easy, that there won't be any pain. But this is, this is the part that I, I'm, I'm going to rub a little bit here. There's going to be a little bit of tension here, and that, that's a good thing. The text is going to do that, and it's this, is that that pain is from God. And you might say, well, pastor, I would give you that pain's a part of life and, and there's suffering and trials. I get that, but, but I don't like the idea of thinking that it's from God. But my dear friend, that's exactly what the text says. Again, when I was preaching through Jonah, all you got to get to is chapter, or verse 4 in chapter 1, where God hurls the storm. And you say, well, I don't like the idea of a God who hurls storms. Well, then you don't like the, the God of the Bible. God will bring pain into your life. And I feel the tension in the room. Do you feel it, Lakeville Sanctuary? I feel it. Because there's a sense in which right now some of you are like, well, if that's the case, I'm pliable. I'm out of here. But I want to show you how because of that, there's hope. That actually it's because God brings pain in your life that gives you really good news and reason for hope in God. Look at what he says. The pain of discipline is a part of parenting. The pain of discipline is a part of parenting. Look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, it's from him, the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now remember the Hebrew Christians are experiencing pain. They're experiencing the pain of persecution. In their context, the source of the pain is they're living out their faith and they're facing persecution because of that. And they're considering, like pliable, going back and just saying, forget this whole thing. And the author says, now wait a minute. I want you to know that the pain that you're experiencing is actually coming to you from the hand of a loving father. Think about your life from the perspective of parenting. 
If you'll just think about it from that metaphor, that illustration, it will give you perspective on life. Now, let me just do time out, time out, time out. Anytime I talk about parenting, there's all kinds of emotions that are going to, to well up in you, particularly as it relates to the topic of discipline. So let me just put the qualifier out quickly here by saying, I know that some of you were disciplined wrongly, disciplined inconsistently. Some of you were disciplined abusively. I am not, nor is the Bible, encouraging that at all. Amen? That's called sin. And if you have experienced a sinful experience with earthly parents, let me tell you this morning, it's all the more reason you need to run to your heavenly father. Don't let the bad experience of earthly parents keep you from the perfect parent, which is God. Let's just acknowledge it right out of the gate. Notice it on the screen. Imperfect parents parent imperfectly. That's just true. To varying degrees, but the perfect parent that is God parents perfectly. So let's just acknowledge that, but yet let's not lose the metaphor, the illustration that the author is using to teach us about our pain. So what does, based on parenting, the author draw out to teach us about God? Here's the first. No discipline, no love. No discipline, no love. How many of you, how many of you, I wish we had more, I wish we had like all day. We have canceled all the rest of the services except this one, okay? Gosh, there's so much here. How many of you have ever, uh, either when you were a kid to your parents or those of you that have a kid, uh, have had them do this to you where uh, there was some type of correction or discipline, you told them no or, or what have you, and they just, they got that look on their face and they said, you don't love me. You ever heard that? Raise your hand. How many of you ever heard that or said that? Yeah. It's like the, you can't have that toy. What? You just don't love me. The truth of the matter is, isn't that our default sometimes as well? We go through pain and we go through trials and suffering and our default reaction to God is, well, you must not love me. If this happened in my life, you don't love me. Or how come she got this and I get this? You must love her more than you love me. We think the same way. Just stop for a minute and think practically from the perspective of a parent. You know, if you are a good parent, that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is correct or say no or discipline a child. And all the parents said, amen. You're really going to let your kids do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. That's a bad idea. You know that. You know that a part of your parenting is that sometimes the most loving thing you do is bring pain, loving pain, into the life of your child. Don't you see, Christian? Don't you see that while God's ways at times may be uh, uncertain, they may be confusing, but his love is always certain. Oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. The perspective that we've got to change is stop seeing your trials as saying that God doesn't love you and see that they actually are saying he does love you. Because sometimes the most loving thing he can do is bring pain into your life. As much as you don't like the pain, it is a sign of God's love. you got to put your big boy pants on today, okay? 
God is a perfect parent. And he knows exactly how to love you. And sometimes the most painful, the most loving way for him is to bring pain in your life. The author says, if there is no discipline, there is no love. Secondly, he says, if there is no discipline, there is no relationship. If there is no discipline, and of course, discipline happens in a variety of ways. It's not just physical pain. It's a variety of ways. But there's no relationship. Now, to be honest, okay, um, how many of you have ever been around that kid? Some of you already know which kid I'm talking about, right? How many of you, show of hands, have ever been around that kid that wasn't yours, and you thought, if I could just have 15 seconds with that boy... That's all it would take. Just give me 15 seconds to be that kid's parent and I'd give them back, all right? Be on, don't judge me. All right? How many of you have ever thought that? Show, show of hands. Yeah, be honest. It's a good thing to do at church. You know, like that kid at the grocery store that is just a nightmare, is a terror, uh, uh, has no guidance whatsoever. I remember, I specifically remember being on a mission, a mission trip with a missionary kid who are far worse than pastor's kids. <laughs> so says the pastor, right? And I tell you, I wanted to launch that boy to another unreached people group. <laughs> In Jesus' name, using my foot. I was absolutely about tired of that boy. You ever, you ever been there? Now, did I discipline him? No. Did I want to? <laughs> you better believe I did. Why did I not discipline him? The answer is simple. He wasn't mine. He doesn't belong to me. The ones that I've been given responsibility to discipline are my children. You say the responsibility of discipline actually points to a relationship that exists. In other words, when God brings pain into your life, when God brings trials and sufferings, he's, he's not abandoning you, he's saying you're mine. Because it's my responsibility to father you. This is not a sign that I don't love you. It's not a sign that you don't belong to me. It's quite the opposite. I do love you and you are mine. I have a relationship with you. I, otherwise, you are illegitimate children and he's not treating you as sons. What this means is that if you don't want the discipline of God, then you don't want God as your father. Don't you see Hebrew Christians the pain that God is bringing in your life is not a sign that he doesn't love you. Just come on. Think about it practically from the perspective of a parent. Sometimes parents know the most loving thing to do is bring pain. And they do it because you're theirs. You're their responsibility. Thirdly, no discipline, no purpose. No discipline, no purpose. You see, parents that do not discipline don't care how their children turn out. Oh, there's so much here. God, please help me. Discipline. The root of discipline is disciple. 
It, it, it's student. It, it means you're being taught, you're being trained. Here's the point. This is the, if you've zoned out, zone back in because I'm telling you, this part will set some of you free. You ready? Some of you are about to be set free from some of your spiritual junk that you're carrying around in your mind and in your heart. Pain has a purpose. Discipline uh, has as its goal adulthood. The whole reason that you're disciplining and, and all that children is because you actually have an end in mind. You have a goal. It's called adulthood. It's why you're potty training and it's why you're teaching them what to eat and not to eat. It's why you're teaching them about authority and how to handle money and how to be kind. And you're, you're, you're doing that through correction and affirmation and physical discipline and celebration. And you're doing all of that not just to be buddies with them, but to prepare them for life. Are you with me? In other words, all of this discipline has a purpose to it. Do you know what that means spiritually? It's Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody come here. When God brings pain into your life, he's not trying to punish you. It means he's not finished with you. He's not mad at you. He's not getting back at you. He's not, oh, you did this? Well, I'm going to zap you for that. He's saying, you are mine, and I love you, and I have a goal and a purpose for you, and in order to get you there, it's going to mean pain, but I love you so much, I will do it to get you where you need to be, because I'm not giving up on my children. It changes everything about the way we think about suffering and trials and pain in life. It's the opposite of how our heart tends to default, which tends to be, God doesn't love me. God's abandoned me. God is punishing me. No! It's the exact opposite. He loves you. You're his. And he has a plan for you. There are some of you that brought in today the spiritual junk that God is punishing you for things that you've done. Spurgeon says it far better than I can ever say it. Here's what he says, quote, God's people can never by any possibility be punished for their sins. God has punished them already in the person of Christ. Christ, their substitute, has endured the full penalty of their guilt, and neither the justice nor the love of God can ever exact again that which Christ has paid. Punishment can never happen to a child of God in the judicial sense. He can never be brought before God as his judge, as charged with guilt, because that guilt was long ago transferred to the shoulders of Christ. Amen? Amen. Yet, while the sin cannot be punished... While the Christian cannot be condemned, Romans 8.1, he or she can be, and I would add will be, disciplined. This is heavy. This is hard. But this has hope. Because if you take the sovereignty of God 
out of your suffering. You have no basis for hope in your suffering. He loves you. You're his. And he has not given up on you. That's what your pain ought to be telling you if you walk by faith. If you're walking by faith, if you've learned to trust him, then you'll know that even in your pain, you're his. Now, if we could get that perspective, it would change the way we think about our pain and suffering. And what would happen is we would avoid two extremes. They're both in the text. It would help us not slip into one of two categories. Let me show you it in the text, and and then I'll I'll, I'll briefly point it out. Look at verse 5. This won't be on the screen, but look at verse 5. Have you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly, that's the first, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary, there's the second, when reproved by him. So don't regard lightly or be weary. Here's the two extremes that we tend, if we don't have this perspective that we'll slip into, is one is we'll start dismissing all the trials in our life. We'll dismiss the suffering that we're going through. We'll take it lightly. We, we won't think about what God is doing. On the other hand, we might slip into despair where we've lost all hope where we've become weary and, and we want to just give up and quit. And no, what, what the author is saying is that, that you would keep the perspective that even in your pain, God loves you, you belong to him, and it has purpose for your life. He is doing something in your life. You won't take it lightly and you won't be given to despair. What you'll do is live by faith. You'll trust him in the slew of despond. You'll trust him in the trials of life. Wherever they are coming from, you will receive them by faith. How are we? We good? Are you going to view your suffering biblically or humanly? Are you going to be a man or woman of faith who trusts your heavenly Father? Are you going to assume that you know better than God as it pertains to the suffering of your life? Oh, don't regard lightly or grow weary, but trust him. That's the first point. I have three points. <laughs> Let me just give you the other two just briefly from the text. The pain of discipline is not just a part of parenting. That's obvious here in the text. But secondly, the pain of discipline is a part of persevering. 
The pain of discipline is a part of persevering. We don't just expect it from the perspective of a parent. We also expect it from the perspective of a race. Look again at verse 7. It's for discipline that you have to endure. Now, if you have a, a... Bible or even on your electronic version, if you have a way of of drawing an arrow or making a connection, you should circle the word endure, draw a line all the way up to verse 1 where it says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. The author is just continuing the theme the whole book is about, and certainly this particular section in the book is about. Namely, hey, you're a part of a race. You're you're a part of of a marathon. Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Amen? It's not just something you do for a day or two. This is about a life that's committed to God. A life that trusts Him. And meaning that that along the way, it's going to be difficult. Nobody that runs a marathon never has points of pain along the way. The contrary. You come on. It's almost like, come on, people. If you're a parent, you know these things. If you've ever run a race, you know these things. Pain is a part of the race. Have you ever seen what people look like when they cross the finish line? I mean, think about how people look when they, cross, when they get to the end of their race. Think about how they look. They look like this. They look like this. They look like this. And Christian, they look like this. Verse 3. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What's he saying? He's pointing you to Jesus. You shouldn't be shocked that pain is a part of the race of faith because the author and the perfecter of your faith was crucified. Consider him. Consider what he endured so that you will not feel as though you're being treated as anything other than sons. The pain of discipline is a part of parenting. The pain of discipline is a part of persevering. And lastly, the pain of discipline is how holiness is produced. The pain of discipline is how holiness is produced. Verse 10 and 11, and we'll close. For they, talking about earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained 
by it. Here is what the author is saying, and it's very helpful for us to consider. Namely, we are not to take joy in our pain, but we are to take joy in what our pain will produce. What I love about this is that this passage gives us the freedom to grieve and have sorrow in our pain and yet know that God has a purpose in our pain, that he's going to produce in us holiness, that he's going to produce in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's just going to take time. And we're going to have to trust him. You see, God is not after your external obedience. He's after your heart. The obedience comes once he transforms the heart. Do you see? And by the way, if you're parents, you know that the most difficult thing in parenting is how it's easy to often address the behavior rather than to actually address the heart. Amen? It's easy to just try to go after what they're doing rather than who they actually are. The problem is if you just go after behavior, you get conformity. But if you go after the heart, you get character. Let me say that again. If all you do as a parent is go after behavior, you'll get conformity. And that usually lasts for just a little while. But if you go after the heart, you get character. And that's ongoing. What the author is saying is that what God is doing in your pain, in your suffering, in your trials, is he's going after your heart. He's changing you. He's making you more holy. He's, he's, he's sharing in with you his holiness, and it will bear fruit. Listen to Romans 5 verse 2, and then we've got to close Through him we have also obtained access by faith in this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You say, see, pastor, you're wrong. It says rejoice in our sufferings. Yeah, but there's a participle that comes after that. Rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces something. That is, not in the pain itself, but what it produces. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Don't you see? I know you've heard something like this before. God is not concerned at all about your comfort. He is concerned about your character. You're his. You belong to him. And the goal of this is not to have a a comfortable life. Listen. The goal of this is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And you don't grow in the vine without divine pruning. It is painful. But it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I know, Hebrew Christians, you want to just turn back. I know the temptation is a comfortable life. But don't you see, if you have a life of no pain, that is a very, very severe life to live. No, no, no. View your life from the perspective of a parent. 
view your life from the perspective of a race. Pain has purpose. And I understand, faith family, that no one here likes pain, that this is a very difficult message. I'm sure I will get emails, and that's okay. My job is not to entertain you. My job is to shepherd you in the Word of God. Because what I want is a church of men and women, boys and girls, with a deep faith in God. And that means telling you what the text says. And what the text says is pain has purpose. And we, of all people, should know that to be true. After all, do you remember what the author of Hebrews said about Jesus? Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Not morally, he had no sin. That is, he became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect mediator between God and man. Why? Because he lived an obedient life through his suffering. And if that was true of him, will it not also be true of us? Listen, no one knows more discipline from the Father than God's own Son. For it was Jesus that endured the physical pain of a cross. It was Jesus that endured the emotional pain of being told no when he asked if there was another way. Jesus endured the spiritual pain of facing his Father's wrath. Faith family, the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world, he disciplined his Son, not because of his sin, but because of ours. So consider him who endured such suffering that you do not grow weary. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. This is a difficult passage. And yet, one, I pray, if, if we would just get it, if we would just see it, oh, how it would change our perspective on the sufferings of this life, the hope that it would give us. It's not random. It is purposeful. And I know that doesn't answer every question. And that's why we must live by faith. We trust you. Oh God, help us trust you in the pain. I know that there are people here today that are going through that right now. And this may be a hard, but I hope freeing message to hear. There are others in this room that this is just preparation for what will be on the road of faith ahead. God, by your spirit, come and minister to us and deepen our faith in you. Thank you for being the perfect parent. Help us trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.